you look hard enough past the flashing lights and billboard signs, past the busy streets and suburban houses, you might find a little truth hidden inside a great song. To the bedroom music makers and garage wall shakers, to the cafe singers and travelling bands, to the street buskers and vinyl crate diggers, to big city dreams and small town life. This is Between the Houses. Hey, welcome to episode two of Between the Houses. Uh, I'm Dave and I'm here with Sam. How you doing, man? Good, good. Uh, still in lockdown here in Melbourne. It hasn't really changed since <laughs> the last time we spoke. It's been very much the same. Uh, more films have been watched. Do you feel like you're getting in the groove of lockdown life? Well, yeah, yeah. No, we're definitely in some kind of groove. Um, you know, we're still able to to get out every now and then. And what's your uh, What's your favourite mask to wear? <laughs> um, it's one that my mother-in-law made for me. Uh, it's just a standard navy blue. It's it's really nicely fitted to my face. Nice navy. You know what? It's a weird thing to say, but I actually feel like I um, look better with the mask on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe it just you know adds a little more mystery to um, to who I am. It's just something I've noticed that I get a few more looks than I feel like I would normally get without a mask. So I, maybe either there's something wrong with my mask. Have you got your nose sticking over the top? <laughs> No, it's definitely, it's applied correctly. I don't know. I just feel like it's, you know, maybe a mysterious uh, bad boy quality <laughs> that I have. I, I have a theory that people just look suspicious wearing a mask. So, people might just be looking at you normally, but because they're also wearing a mask, it somehow looks suspicious because their eyes are just yeah. darting. All I'm getting is eyes, yeah. What have you been up to? Uh, not a whole bunch, man. Uh, oh, actually, I bought a new guitar. Oh, cool. It's, uh, it's all secondhand, but yep. I bought a... Uh, Japanese uh, Fender Jazzmaster. Oh, nice. Yeah, really loving it. Have you been playing it much? Um, not as much as I'd like to. It's sitting in the corner of my bedroom, just silently whispering, play me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the reason is that, because I feel the same way, I, I feel like I've barely picked up a guitar in you know the last sort of eight months, but... Like, what do you think the reason is that we're not feeling like, you know, playing or, or creating like we should be? <laughs> oh, I can tell you it's because every time <laughs> I plug it in, my kids come running in and start bashing it and wanting me to play Mary Had a Little Lamb and Hop Little Bunnies. That's why I don't play my guitar too much. Oh, okay. Just me then. I I have no excuse. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a cool guitar though. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Just got it plugged into my... Boss CE2. Oh, a classic pedal. Yeah, the classic Jazzmaster chorus combo. I love it. Very nice. Uh, so we had a lot of people asking questions um, from the last episode about sort of things they were wanting to know about the band and and uh, certain albums and, and sort of the inner workings of a lot of that stuff. And we had a lot of uh, people asking about things like, you know, what happened to the 12-4 documentary that you were meant to release <laughs> and... Uh, recording on the train ride home and and on the corner where you live and these were sort of things that we had initially planned to kind of talk about a little bit in these intros that we're doing but we just felt like there were some questions that were asked that we couldn't really do justice to in in just talking about it really quickly here so we talked about possibly uh, doing an episode that would be all of us kind of addressing those questions and talking about them in a bit more depth uh, 
because there were some really great questions and, and there was some stuff that we felt like, yeah, we should probably talk about that. And we've just been spitballing here, but maybe, just maybe we'll all five of us get together and um, answer some of the questions, give them the answers they deserve in their own designated surprise episode. Yeah. We'll spring it on you. So today we are talking with Rosie Carney, who is an Irish singer-songwriter from Donegal, and she released her debut album, Bear, last year. Uh, It's a beautiful album. Um, Dave and I have spent a good amount of time listening to it, and she's been very sort of forthcoming about her her mental health struggles. Um, She got signed at a really young age and uh, had a lot of uh, physical health problems and, and mental health problems as she was sort of growing up and, and trying to navigate her way through, yeah, those sort of early years and, and working out the sort of songwriter she wanted to be. And, and we also talk about her family and, and the importance of family to her. And I thought it was worth mentioning uh, that in this interview, she talks about her grandma, her nanny, she calls her, that uh, played a huge part in, in her upbringing and, and was a, a big influence on um, a lot of her songs as well. And uh, we were very sad to hear that uh, I think the week after this interview, her grandma actually passed away. Um, So we wanted to send her all of our love and condolences. And um, yeah, we know that she was a huge part of your life, Rosie. So we wanted to, um, I suppose, honor her as well in, uh, in this interview. recorded a song with Rosie recently called By My Side and we put it out not too long ago um, and she's got such a beautiful voice it was so great to to have her sing on that song so we talked a little bit about that uh, in this interview um, yeah I thought it was a really really interesting and really candid conversation with her yeah it was really good to chat to her she was immediately really warm and really sincere and sweet I love the perspective she had on her career and her life to this point, uh, she has this really poignant way of looking back and recounting stories and emotions and things that she's struggled with without even batting an eyelid. Like she's been through so much. It's like a roller coaster. You, mm. you guys will listen to it and it's actually a lot to take in. It's hard to conceive how many hurdles she, she's faced and how she can now look back at them with this mature wisdom it's it's really cool and one thing i noticed as well um just comparing talking to rosie and also talking to lucy last week um is is that anxiety and sort of mental health you know it's such a thing with performing because uh, both of them ha- have huge amounts of anxiety when it comes to performing they both got really nervous like a lot of people do and um it's it's really great to hear musicians talking about this aspect of it because you know it is a thing it's still a thing for us every time we go on stage it's um yeah it is a bit of a mental battle uh with your own self-worth and and whether you feel like you have anything to offer um so i I really appreciated how open she was about all of those things that she's been through yeah i feel like it's really important and i mean it goes without saying if there's anyone listening who feels like they're struggling with 
uh, anxiety or, or depression or, or anything that, that we bring up in this conversation, if you feel like you're dealing with it alone, reach out to someone around mm. you. That being said, uh, you know, there was a lot of heavy stuff that we talked about, but there was also some really hilarious stuff. Uh, and, you know, we had a lot of laughs. Um, and I think she had some really great stuff to say. Here's our chat with Rosie Carney. Where I'm at home in Donegal, I'm currently in my grandparents' living room. I've got like baby pictures of me staring at me. It's really intense. Oh, great. But yeah, I came home in May and I've been here since. I'm going back to London next weekend though. Okay. And did you move back home for COVID reasons? It was kind of a mixture of reasons. So I spent like the best part of the lockdown um, in London with my flatmates. Um, but then when they started to like kind of ease restrictions a tiny bit of the flights, you know, I just felt like I needed to just come back here. And obviously my family were like so scared with me being far away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a mixture of things, but it was mainly to get that solitude to just kind of like reset, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So firstly, one thing we have to clarify is you are both English and Irish, yes. but you would say yourself that you are Irish. Uh, I used to say that, but that, that kind of pisses some people off. So I, I like to say Anglo-Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, the most uh, politically correct term to right. use. But Who would get pissed off about that? I've just, there's been a few occasions where people would argue with me about like where I'm from. And, you know, if I said I was Irish, they're like, no, you're not. You literally have an English accent, which is true. I mean, I, I do. I have such an English accent considering I've lived here longer than I lived in England. You know, it's, it's really weird. Um, but some people just don't accept that. Like your family heritage is Irish, right? Yeah. My grandparents, my granddad was literally born. His house where he was born is on our driveway. Wow. So, you know, it's... So the property that you live on in Donegal mm-hmm. is like sort of has been in your family for a while. Yes, when my granddad was born and raised, he would, well, my dad built this house. He would like plant vegetables and stuff when he was a young boy. So it's got a lot of history. It's really nice. Did you all move away for a while or was it just you? Yeah, my sisters and I were born and raised in England. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we just moved back when I was 10 in 2007. And my dad built this really nice eco-friendly house. Does that mean it has no... Uh, like artificial heating or cooling or anything it's all yeah so we have one stove that heats the entire house and it's all like the walls are about this thick and they're, they're full of straw bales and sheep's wool Whoa. Wow. so it's it's really cool it's amazing he built it himself he designed it and built it himself um, how long did it take him it took him three years wow or three or four years but yeah it's really really amazing I'm so I'm still always so proud of him for it because it's so you can just see like every little detail there's so much love and care that was put into it and like he was a landscape artist in in england like he would just design gardens so he'd never done anything like this and it's so beautiful yeah because yeah. i i want to ask you about ireland because my um my mum was born there oh, really? so sort of half irish yeah but she was an, a northern islander okay uh yeah she was born in newtonards in um in county down and wow. I think she sort of moved when she was quite young to Australia, but she's been back uh, a few times. And I had never been there before until we played in Dublin a few years ago. And I'd, I'd kind of like built it up in my head, like, you know, this is sort of half of my heritage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have all this family over there that I've never met before. But the, <laughs> the thing I was most worried about was 
I I had this idea because, and we'll talk about the music of of Ireland and and such because um, I do want to get into that. Mm-hmm. But I just imagined uh, that you know all of the pubs were going to be full of you know amazing folk musicians oh, yeah. <laughs> that no. you know, and and if I sort of walked into one and didn't have a song prepared when you know the guitar came my way, yeah. that I was just never going to live it down. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> And we, we, I said to the guys, like, guys, I'm really, I'm quite worried about this. And I learnt like five traditional folk songs just in case. I have been watching way too many movies. Oh, no. Just in case I got myself into that situation. Um, and I was really proud of them. I'd rehearsed them. Yeah. And I just thought, look, if this happens, you know, if, if I'm in a pub and the singing starts and yeah. it comes to me, I'm going to be prepared you know, with the darkest song I can possibly think of, the saddest song. And it just never happened. I, I went to a few pubs and yeah. they were all playing like Red Hot Chili Pepper yeah. covers. And oh, my God, that's so... It's one to wall on repeat. Sam, was one of those songs that you learnt, Will You Go Lassie? That was, oh, that yes. was one of those songs. Will You Go yeah. Lassie? Go. Yeah. Such a tune. <laughs> it is a classic. That is a classic. Well, we actually, we learnt it and we put it in the set. Wow. Because um, we enjoyed playing it so much and we played it in um it was glasgow we first played it in wasn't yeah. it right. at, like at king tuts and and this is why i wanted to sort of talk about the the music there because i feel like the folk music of places like ireland and and scotland and i suppose england as well like it's quite runs really deep into the heritage and and into the land and the people yeah. and and when we played that song like people were so into it and so passionate, like just remembering it and singing it. And yeah. we still talk about that moment, don't we, Dave? Like yeah. it, was, it was very moving. It brings people together. Like it always has, especially when like, you know, Ireland went through the troubles and like all the struggles over the last hundred years or so. Mm. Like the one thing that was always a constant and the one thing that always brought people together was the art and the music, you know, that was, they had the freedom to do all of that together and it was yeah, it was something that they always did. And I remember my granddad as well, when he was younger, like he had to, he was forced to move to London because there was no work here when he was um, 20 years old. And he had written like so many poems about it and they're so beautiful. And yeah, it's just something that. It's like the great, the great leveler just reminds people of what's most important. Yeah, exactly. It's like this deep soul that people carry. Yeah. And I, and I find when I hear it, and I don't know what it is, but I just, it was like when I heard Will You Go, Lassie Go mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. I heard like the version that was done by by the Corries, and we were on tour and I was listening to it. It was like really early in the morning. And I, I like, I don't normally get, I mean, I, I'm, I feel quite deeply about songs, but I don't normally get emotional yeah. uh, to the point of sort of tears. But I, I did with that song. It was, really took me by surprise. And I remember sitting in the tour van and I was like, I hope no one's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I, I found it really, really moving. It just connected with me. And it's how I feel about, you know, the music of, of that country. I totally agree. I remember in school um, I was studying Irish music because obviously I was uh, in an Irish school and there was this one song that was called Anmajinwara. I probably have pronounced that wrong I can't remember what it translates to but it's this um, old Irish folk song about a lady who is um, this woman is saying goodbye to her family because she's 
returning to the sea as a mermaid or something. And it's just like, oh, mm. it's stuck with me ever since. And the whole thing is in Irish and it's just so beautiful. Like it's, I really want to learn it and cover it, but I don't know. We'll see. I think there's some, there's a real power in traditional folk music all yeah. over the world, everywhere I've been. Um, su- suddenly the people and the architecture and mm-hmm. um, the natural beauty all sort of makes sense when you actually hear Definitely. local folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I, rem- I remember being in Peru and we walked into a bar and there was like a, a folk band playing there. The place was packed and everybody was singing along and um, yeah, just like three guys up on the stage. There's a Peruvian instrument called the charango and it's um, it's imagine like a 12 string guitar mixed with a ukulele. Oh, okay. <laughs> and these guys wailing in Spanish, man, it was so incredible and so wow. moving and suddenly everything just tied together. Almost like when you eat like local food as well. Yeah. It sort of all makes sense. No, definitely. And I love there's just like there's so many stories in these songs as well, you know. It's just yeah. Yeah, it's very very old and very deeply ingrained into into the yeah. land. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about um when when you're away from Ireland and when you go back because I I know you sort of lived um on on both sides. You've lived yeah. in Ireland, you've lived in England. <laughs> Do you feel when you go back home cuz Donegal is very beautiful, very picturesque. You've got, you know, the ocean, it's wild. Mm-hmm. And the countryside is wild as well. Do you feel like a connection to the land? Because Dave and I have talked about yeah. this. We've all talked about it on the road. Um, and we have sort of various heritage um, other than Australian in amongst our band. And, and yeah. we were talking about like traveling to those places and just for whatever reason, like feeling this weird but very deep kind of connection to the land. Do you have anything like that? No, absolutely. I absolutely feel that. And and I miss it so much when I go away. I really do. And again, I think it's because of the way I was brought up as well. Like because my dad was a landscape artist, like we were brought up with such appreciation for nature. And, you know, like we would go outside. I would always be outside with no shoes on. Like I would never wear any shoes outside. And um, yeah, we were always, we spent a lot of our childhood in, in the forest and playing around the trees. And, you know, it was kind of, that feeling was so amplified when we moved here. I was just so, I just couldn't explain it. I couldn't, I didn't know how to express how it was making me feel. And I think that's also why I started making music because I felt like it was the only way I could describe and um, express this deep connection that I was feeling with the, the world around me you know mm. so even as a even as a 10 year old moving home to Donegal mm-hmm. was like you felt that you recognized that oh absolutely I just I had felt nothing like that before and and still like I I just I go crazy if I can't be around this rural part of the world mm. for a long time you know and I, it's been really nice because since I got home I've been spending a lot of time with my horse and just with horses in general, which has oh, been, wow. yeah, it's been really, really amazing. And just to, as well, like, just to feel that connection with the land and with like an animal and just to just really immerse myself in that has been, it's so important to me. And I just, I can't really live without it. What's your horse's name? Oh, it's really bad. I hate his name. I didn't name him, <laughs> but it's bad luck to change your horse's name. His name is Digger. 
<laughs> sounds, sounds like a, an Australian horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It's so, oh, man. such a silly name. There's these amazing like generational ties to, yeah, things like uh, land and, and maybe even like animals, as you say, horses and such. But like I remember, Dave, when we went to your family castle in Wales because you have Welsh heritage, don't you? Have you have a family castle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a bit of a stretch, but let's go with that. What castle? Um, so my last name is Powers. Powers. Um, yeah. You have to mention the middle name as well. My middle name is Glinda. So in Glinda I once met this Welsh lady, and she said that I'm pronouncing my own name incredibly wrong. Okay. My middle name is actually pronounced Glindor. Ooh, Glindor. And my last name is actually. Powis or Powis. That's so sick. Are you like royal or something? Do you like? Well, I'm a descendant. Essentially, I'm a descendant of the Powers clan uh, of Wales. So that is so cool. There's actually a Powers County in Wales, um, <laughs> which is like Central Wales, I, I believe. And there's a Powers Castle. Yeah. That's, do you know what? My manager is like obsessed with castles. And um, we've, because my label is called Colour Study, we've been doing yeah. these like colour study sessions in Wales where we go to these castles in Wales. So I'm sure like he probably knows of it. I mean, I, I can't wait to tell him that. He's gonna- Your dad might know about it because the gardens of Powers Castle are really famous. He will definitely know about it then. So there's like these beautiful like terraced gardens out the front, but the entire land surrounding the castle was the, the family actually. Um, protected all the forest for uh they used to use it for hunting and wow stuff like that so it's incredible the feeling of arriving there i Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting it i I just thought it would be cool to see this castle and been told about it you know when i was a kid but suddenly like when we arrived Mm -hmm. the feeling of not just the castle but just being in wales and seeing my name spelt correctly all over powers county (laughs) Um, I, I suddenly felt incredibly validated yeah. wow. and I was not expecting it. I just, I felt gutted that I had missed out on this for so many years. Why mm-hmm. hadn't I been here sooner? Yeah. Um, and just, I, I felt this crazy amount of, like I belonged there or something, or I should, should I live here? Like, what's- <laughs> yeah, no, I, do you know, I really believe in like energy and I believe that energy gets passed down through generations and like. It doesn't surprise me that you would go back and feel like a deep connection. Like, of course, when your mm. ancestors have all been so connected with a place like that, like it just, it, it makes sense, you know. Yeah. Well, the most amazing part was when we went to look inside, Dave, and there were um, those two women that uh, were on the staff there. And you kind of introduced yourself and, and said that you were a powers and they recognized your features. Do you remember that? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. And there were all these portraits on the wall. Of you. And there was this one portrait, and Dave even took a photo in front of it. It looked so much like him. It was amazing. <laughs> That's mad. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm also half Spanish, so I thought, I thought my whole life I just look incredibly Spanish, like my mum's <laughs> side of the family. But when we turned up at the castle and started seeing portraits of, um, you know, my ancestors, <laughs> yeah. and then talk to these ladies, and they said, Oh, yep, you look just like him. Yep, that's incredible. 
<laughs> I can't believe you've never been here before. You're a spitting image. Oh my god, that's. Do you go back regularly? Like, is it? Well, no, we've been there once. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Con- I had to convince everyone to stop off oh. <laughs> on our way through. On our way through. It's so beautiful. Have you ever been to Snowdonia? We actually stayed. We we had a night off, and our our tour manager Brett. Um, was very excited for like weeks about this little surprise that he'd planned for us. <laughs> and he, he'd booked the night off at a church, an old church in Snowdonia that had been converted wow. into like an, an Airbnb. And it was just the best night, wasn't it? Because we'd had a very stressful day <laughs> that day. Oh, where, man. Uh, oh, no. One of, one of the most stressful days of tour. Our, our, I mean, our tour manager, is he's the sweetest man uh, and he very, very rarely like loses his temper. Mm-hmm. But we had a driver that we didn't book for the tour, but he, uh, our, our original driver wasn't able to complete the tour, so he had to get someone else in. And he didn't know this driver that he'd got in. And uh, needless to say, uh, we sort of met him in the UK when we sort of crossed from France. And uh, this new driver showed up and... Um, I think because it was a European van that we were traveling in, this new UK driver wasn't used to driving on the other side of the van. So he just kept drifting like into the middle of the road. Oh boy. And some of those like, uh, you know, some of those country roads are very narrow. Yeah. And he just kept drifting, drifting. And Brett was in the front seat and just what this particular day, he just had it. Like he just lost it at this guy. And basically kicked him out of the driver's oh seat, even though that was his one job for the tour. Oh, no. And, uh, and said, you're not driving anymore. Uh, it was one thing after another, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The fact that we were possibly about to crash. Yeah. Oh, God. We were all stoked to be in Snowdonia, but there was this funny, funny tension <laughs> in the house because of that day. So, But we loved it in Wales. It was beautiful. I'd, I'd like to actually do a show there one day. Yeah, yeah I, it's so beautiful. So, we recorded our song together recently and I wanted to ask you about it because yeah. we we didn't actually get to talk together like sort of like we are now um, while we're recording it. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't. No, I know. It was just one of those things that kind of came together quite quickly. But we got it done. We did. And I'm so happy that you're on that song. Yeah. It's just so lovely to have or to hear your voice on it i can't believe like it's still a dream to me i'm still like oh my god it's so insane like when you sent me the song i just i remember i was i was here when you sent it to me because you sent it to me quite a while ago and Mm. i was sat out on the balcony with my sister jasmine who is also a fan of you guys and we just kind of sat there and listened to it and i was just like oh my god trying not to cry (laughs) it turned out beautifully and you recorded it in London, didn't you? Because yes. the, the situation was for a lot of artists that at that time a lot of the world was in lockdown and quite intense lockdown where you, you weren't yeah. really supposed to leave mm-hmm. your uh, your homes. And I sort of said to you, you know, are you able to record this? Are you able to get into the studio with anyone or do you have any engineer friends? And there was just no options other than to do it at home, which I love because you just you just did it. I had no idea what I was doing. Like if if anyone would have seen me, they would have been like, what, is she really a professional? Like I was literally in my living room holding this microphone because my microphone stand broke. (laughs) I couldn't even find the pop shield. So I had to like cover it. And I was like crouching down like this because it was so hot and the window was open. And oh my God, 
it was it was a sweaty mess it was just like oh no i'm quitting after this uh, <laughs> on garage band yeah. as well there's nothing wrong with garage band i, I did every album demo up until this most recent album demo on on garage band i love garage band yep i still use it oh my god i've literally the the most recent project that i've been working on has mainly been done on garage band i swear by it i love it it gets it gets the job done so if, I you, can't. if you're listening uh young songwriters there's there's nothing wrong with garage band don't let anyone tell you otherwise yeah there's nothing wrong with just making do with what you've got you don't need the right equipment yes it's great i actually have to tell you so that song i don't think i mentioned this to you when we were recording it but i wrote that song for my for my daughter and i played it to her when it was done yeah she's only two and um she knows my voice very well so when she listened to it she was saying you know dada yeah um and then when she heard you come in she said mama (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and i said yes yes it is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just never never told her otherwise So I'm just going to continue With letting her think that uh, Her mother's voice <laughs> is your voice I won't tell her, don't worry Rosie, I want to go back to your roots a little bit more I mean, we spoke a bit about your family But I feel like Your parents uh, Have been instrumental in allowing you mm-hmm. The freedom and, and, and Giving you um, the tools I guess, both emotionally And musically to to explore what you want to do. Did your parents introduce you to music? And if so, what did they what did they give you? I mean, yeah, my parents, we always had instruments growing up. Um, like my mum and dad, we had this beautiful old piano, which we were allowed to just like bash on. They would never tell us <laughs> to stop. Like, oh my God, thinking back, we must've been so annoying. Like we were so loud, like recorders mm-hmm. as well, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, like we were always encouraged to just pick up an instrument. They never made us do it. Like we, I got some piano lessons when I was a kid and I got clarinet lessons in school when I was a kid as well, which I hated, hated school. I hated being told what to do. Um, but yeah, they were always playing music to us all the time when we were tiny. Like my mum told me as well, like when she was pregnant with each of us, she would, she would play music to us when we were like in mm. her so that was really nice and yeah they, they're just so encouraging like they never they were never the kind of parents to tell me to take my head out the clouds for dreaming about things like music they would just encourage it like I dropped out of school when I was 16 because wow. I got signed and like I also wasn't very well and my parents were, were there with me every step of the way saying you know you just need to do what's going to make you happy and and like I remember when I was a young child, like falling in love with like Queen and Led Zeppelin and, and like James Taylor and Nora Jones and like Joni Mitchell, like I would just listen to all of those. Remember my dad would, my dad loves music. Yeah. He is such a music fan, like, like David Bowie and Freddie Mercury are his heroes. Oh, and, yeah. and like he went to Live Aid, which is, I think is. The oh, wow. Thing. That is very oh, cool. That's great. There's actually, there's, um, there's a picture of you can see my dad right at the front whilst Freddie Mercury is singing out to the audience. It's like, <laughs> I want to get it framed. It's insane. So he was at the front at Live Aid. <laughs> he was a, right at the front. He wow. was right at the front. Because his friend was one of the photographers for Live Aid. So he managed to get him right up at the front. That's awesome. Lucky bastard. So what did your parents do? Well, so my dad, he does a bit of building here mm-hmm. in Ireland. And my mum is a full-time carer for my grandparents and my uncle. So... 
my grandparents and my uncle live with us. Um, my grandmother, her mother, she has really bad dementia. She's in the final stage of dementia. Mm. And my granddad also now has dementia and my uncle has autism. So she cares for all of them. Wow. Yeah. She, it's been really difficult. It's really, it's really hard. Like, especially when like family is everything. And then my, like her own mum doesn't know who she is or doesn't mm. know where she is. And it's just, you know, it's been, it's been a really hard challenging thing to have to go through um but yeah she's just been she's been a full-time carer for them wow for as long as i can remember sam and i have both experienced um like family members with dementia mm. and we were talking about it the other day uh and i think one of the saddest things um i mean with my uh my abuelita is she uh, she was she was gone but she was still with us yeah so it was this this l- really long drawn out um process of saying goodbye yeah um and i find that really really strange and really difficult it's really it's the hardest thing to like come to terms with and like my nanny bless her she um she was everything like she taught me my love for animals growing up Mm -hmm. she taught me that you just you know kindness doesn't cost anything and always be kind to animals like always there's no need to ever be mean to an animal which i is invaluable because i love animals i love them so much um but like she had a really hard life growing up like she was she grew up in a convent in ireland i don't know if you're familiar with the history of ireland and its convents um but yeah she she grew up in a in a really horrible environment and you know, she spent a lot of her time alone. And now because she has dementia, she's back in the convent. Yeah, right. Mm. She's constantly praying and she's like asking where her granddad is. It's really horrible. Like, it's just, it's really, it's just such an evil disease. Like, it's so mm. cruel. I just, yeah. I just can't, you know, it's really sad. But uh, I'm so sorry. That's, yeah, that's awful. But do you know what? She loves music. She remembers like almost every lyric to every Elvis Presley song she would listen to and we put it on for her and she'll start like dancing around and it's so cute. It's amazing that like the, you just, she just can't forget music, you know? Yeah. Your family seems really important to you in everything that all your songs and um, the stories that you tell, I feel like your family is really close to you. They really are. I think I've been so blessed to, to have been brought up the way I was with my parents and with my sisters, like my sisters are everything to me. And I was brought up just being taught the importance of family and love and just like always being there for each other. Um, like it's not always perfect. Like we, me and my sisters have been bickering, like you would not believe since we've been back in the house together. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a child, but um, they're so important to me. My family is everything, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's going back to um, your album, bear which was your first album mm-hmm. um listening through that i couldn't help but feel like every other song was either to do with your family but more specifically your grandmother yeah there was a lot i think in that album because it was written over like six years and like throughout that six years we started to gradually lose her and my my nanny i call her nanny she's been such an important person in my life she's always been there like when we were in England she lived next door to us Mm -hmm. you know she's always been in my life and just I would go to her and and like talk to her about things and she would sit there and listen to me when I first started playing the piano or the guitar she would sit there and just listen to me and 
tell me that it, it sounded beautiful and mm. she would tell me that she believes in me and yeah just kind of like losing her obviously it's been such a i'm gr- i'm grieving yeah. even though she's still here i've been grieving that and it's yeah. just been when i'm writing my music that's been something that's helped me um to process that that grief and and the thing is like she had this this thing um a few years ago i think it was 3 years ago now where she was rushed to hospital and she was given days to live and like the doctor said she's not going to last more than a few days mm. and my mum was like yes she will you'll you'll see like she will and my mum was like you know my love will keep her alive and she's she's still yeah. here <laughs> like wow. she's still alive it's it's incredible mm. i want to go back rosie i want to talk about um cuz i know you had a really tough time in school would you be able to shed a bit more light on that it was a really difficult age to move like i was 10 my sister poppy was 11 and jasmine was 13 so it was like a really difficult age for all of us and we all had a really hard time when we moved over like i think that's another reason why we're so close because kids can be really cruel you know especially at that mm. age um and i went from being in a school where i had a nice little friend group um it was a school of like probably 800 people in england probably more mm. 800 kids to being in a school with just 60 kids wow. and i was one of i was one of two girls in my class and there were four other boys um like it was tiny it was a tiny tiny class there was so they run the class with like six people um no so my my year and my sister's year went in the same classroom yeah. so it was like two years in each classroom and so i um you know i became very quiet i i still remember my first day i was shitting myself i was crying so much and i was just so scared and i kind of i think that the kids saw that on the first day and like kind of knew that I'm I like I'm so sensitive you could just look at me funny and I'll start crying I'm a crier like I will <laughs> happily admit that but yeah just being this little english kid in rural island just it really it wasn't it wasn't an an ideal um situation for me at all all my sisters mm-hmm. so yeah I started to get bullied and it was really horrible it was like as I think it was the hardest thing one of the hardest things i've i've been through like bullying is it's just awful kids can be so mean mm. and like especially in that kind of school where it's not progressive at all and you can't really like the teacher would come in and be like why are you crying now what have they said now and like nothing would ever get done about it and so i just kind of stopped going to school um because i didn't tell my parents for the first year i just didn't I didn't tell my parents that I was getting bullied because I just felt so weird about it and embarrassed because mm. I had never really been bullied before. Can you remember like what they were doing to kind of make you feel that way? Yeah, they would so they would um they would call me names. They would write horrible letters. I got a letter telling me to kill myself. Jeez. Um they would do this thing where uh if they touched my stuff, they would like get germs and pass them around the whole school and like it was really fucking horrible stuff mm. that like you see in a film like i remember i got a haircut and the hairdresser butchered my hair she made me look like a little boy um it was awful <laughs> my mum wanted to beat her up and the kids they just like oh they loved that like they just kind of they ripped the piss out of me for that as well and um yeah i just i had no friends i had absolutely no friends they like they would pretend to be my friends and they would just stop talking to me and I had not like I had nothing. I had a pet cat who I would talk to <laughs> whenever I adopted this little cat I found on the street. Oh. And um, she was my best friend. She would wait at the door for me um whenever I was coming home from school. 
and she she died but she was my oh. she was my everything breaking my heart <laughs> she was literally my very friend <laughs> but then i started playing the piano i would spend like hours just sitting in our little music room in our old house just playing the piano and i started to like write these really well they seemed intricate at the time but these like little classical pieces and i started um writing songs for each of my pets like i wrote a song for my dog barney and then for my old dog Finn and like my mum, yeah, she was like, oh, these are actually quite good. So I started playing music and that was kind of my little release. And that was, that was my little thing that I had when I was going through that. And then when I went to secondary school, um, it still was like, I was just a small fish in a big pond. Mm -hmm. is that? Yeah. I managed to make a little friend group. Um, but then as soon as my music started to, uh, kind of blow up, I started getting picked on again. Like kids would chant Rosie, Rosie, sing us a song. And like, Ugh. they would take the piss out of me. My, my friends, yeah, it just got, it was such a horrible, horrible experience. And I got really sick. I, I um, formed depression and then I formed like an eating disorder. I became really anorexic and I ended up uh, having to drop out of school because I was getting, like I got signed while all of this was going on um, in the background. And I just got so sick. And so I kind of had to like make a decision. Do I, stay in school or um and like mm. leave the music to the side for now or like i just i was literally too sick i couldn't even i was so thin i was like five stone mm. and it was so it was such a dark time um and then i got dropped <laughs> by my label <laughs> when i got signed oh my god um it was the best thing that ever happened to me in hindsight oh man so <laughs> please tell me it's a smooth sailing from here oh uh, no never never <laughs> I can't believe you went through all of that, like nonstop, one thing after another. And then you got you got signed, you were 15 or 16? Yeah, I was 15, just 10, 16. Um, I was 15 and I remember I was 15 years old sitting at like, I, my manager at the time, like we flew over to London and I was sitting in the head of Sony, EMI, like Parlophone, like with my little guitar and my little scruffy jumper, <laughs> like playing these little songs that I'd written to these like the head of the labels and then I got signed and that only lasted a year. And then, yeah, I just kind of, I had a, this episode and I ended up in, in a psychiatric ward in the hospital and then my manager left me. And so I was like, well, I, if there is a God, he really doesn't want me to do music. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, but then, yeah, it was just like, it was, it was a crazy time and it still is like, I still, mental health is like a very like um it's a big part of who i am yeah. you know i have depression and anxiety and ptsd i was recently i mean it makes sense yeah. <laughs> but mm. um it just seems now like i'm i'm in a really good place um with my career where i trust who i'm working with uh, like my manager i'm signed to his label and he's been managing me for a, a long time now and you know it's not always easy but we've we've built a, a good trusting relationship, which is the most important thing for me is trust. Mm -hmm. um, there are still loads of hurdles that like this year has been 
fucking weird yeah to say the least i was tempted to quit music i was like do i just quit now is this the end <laughs> i just i i actually am having trouble getting my head around you being 15 and getting signed to polydor like because i think about myself at 15 16 you know i i had no idea what was i i was just having trouble you know, getting girls to like me <laughs> and, and being embarrassed about my braces. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, how how were you in discussions with major labels? I, I know you play this festival, um, Other Voices Festival. Yes, I did. And then that was, th- th- like, that was a, a big deal for you. And, you know, you made some noise in the industry. Mm-hmm. But, but how, at 15, like, who were your parents there having a conversation with the label? Like, wh- I mean, my mum kind of backed out of... All of it. She never got in the way of it and she never told me I couldn't, but she, my mum is uh, a very protective person and she doesn't tolerate the bullshit of the industry. So she kind of took a step back because she didn't want to like hurt anyone's feelings or anything. But my dad would come with me everywhere. Um, my dad actually managed me for a little while when my first manager buggered off. He kind of like took over and it was the cutest thing. <laughs> he was so good at it as well. It was, it was so cute. Um, but yeah, my dad was always there with me. And like, I have family in London as well, which who kind of like looked out for me. But yeah, I kind of had to like grow up pretty quickly with all of that going on. I just, and like when you're 15, mm. like obviously you get signed um, as a brand, like they want to brand you, you're, you're a your product. And mm. when you're 15, like how the fuck? <laughs> I had no idea like what the hell any of that even meant. I just wanted to write my songs on my little blue guitar that I still have. And that was, that was it. But it was, yeah, it was such a weird experience. Like it, it was really. And whose, whose footsteps were you following? Were you, were you thinking, okay, yeah, I want to get signed. Like getting signed is a good idea because I want to be like who? No, I wasn't even thinking like that. I kind of like, all I cared about was writing my songs and singing them. Yeah. You know, I hated doing shows. I, I would shit myself before yeah. shows. I would be like crying, shaking. I remember one time I tried to escape through a green room window because I was like, can't do it. I don't want to do it. Don't make me do it. <laughs> um, so it was just like, why are they signing me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to know like what business a label has signing a 15 year old kid to like a major label. It's just, as you said, Dave, like you, you don't even know who you are at 15. And- it's actually funny because I've since gotten back in touch with uh, my old A&R guy from Polydor and like, you know, we're, we're quite close and and he was always very honest. Like the reason he signed me was for my voice and, and you know, that, that, was, that was the reason behind that. Um, what do you think they were expecting from you? The next Nora Jones is what I was, a Nora Jones cross with Adele was what I was told. Yeah. Were they, they were trying to get you to co-write, like get co-writers and... I spent an entire year writing. I had three weeks off. I was in the studio. Oh my God, I went everywhere. I was in Nashville. This is when I was 16. And I was in Nashville. I was in LA. I was in Scotland. I was in London all the time. I was writing in the studio with like some of the most amazing producers. Like, But I remember I was just, we were always trying to look for that song. Like we were trying to... We struggled so much to, um, the label struggled so much to just kind of pigeonhole me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, so I was just kind of thrown into the studio for basically an entire year. I was just writing everywhere with everyone. And it was just, it was like really exhausting because like this was also, I was still kind of 
experiencing my anorexia and so i was really unwell i was really weak at the same time as all of this and did did the label notice that no i kind of um i would kind of purposely like wear baggy clothes and stuff like that like mm. i kind of i kept it really hidden um but i it, it got too much and i had to we had to tell my label and um that was kind of around the time i got dropped i think because i got so sick that my doctor said that i had to go into hospital to be put onto a tube wow. and it was just like i didn't have to do that in the end but i was just getting so sick whilst whilst i was trying to navigate my way through all the music stuff so do you think the label pressure was contributing to that at all i think it eventually did start to as i like kind of i was maturing and I, like i as i said i had to grow up quite quickly and and i was learning that that they had to have something to work with and then i started looking at other musicians and like yeah it was just a mixture of all of that stuff and i was in like a really bad relationship as well at the time like it was my first relationship and he just was a weird person so yeah everything was just weird you really why not just have everything happen at once <laughs> why not get it all over um, and done with but it was all so invaluable like everything yeah. i went through when i think back um if I hadn't have gone through it, like I wouldn't have the songs. I wouldn't, I don't know. I just, I probably wouldn't be here trying to you guys about it. Mm. What pulled, what pulled you through? Um, just remembering why I started writing songs in the first place, um, which was for myself. I, I went through a period of just, I stopped writing when I got dropped. And when I had my mental breakdown and went into hospital and I remember after everything and when I, after I'd taken a break from writing music, I sat down and, and that's when I wrote Awake Me. It was kind of like the first big song that I'd written after all of that. And it just felt right again. Something just clicked back into place. I remember I was sat up in my sister's bedroom and I, I wrote it in like half an hour, I think. And I just like remembered. I was just like, wow, okay. Yeah, this is why I started doing this and I can't stop. Yeah. Sam actually showed me your music when we were on the road in Europe. I remember lying in the bottom bunk, uh, the tour bus, and I listened through Bear start to finish, and it was hauntingly beautiful. Thank I you. Thinking, she is young. How can she sound so old? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you do. I mean, and even for a folk singer, you've got this shoegaze thing going on, mm-hmm. kind of like a Mazzy Star vibe. <gasps> I love Mazzy Star. The song Bear, I have to say, is my favourite. I love the way your voice just takes off at the end, like the intensity of your emotion. Yeah. You can hear it at the end of that song. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. What's your inspiration behind songs like that and your latest three songs from your new EP? I guess I get so inspired from, like, everything I listen to. Like, I listen to a lot of music and I listen to lots of different genres. Like, you know, like, I, I really do. I love it all. But for those songs specifically, like Bear, which is, I think it's one of my favourite songs from the album as well. I think it was a song that I felt the most vulnerable singing because there was a lot of heartache behind that. And it's the same with my EP. It was a lot of heartache. And what I found with, like, uh, Bear and those three songs is that I do get loud in it because... um I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm just really trying to get my heartache out. And that's why my voice, like I kind of wanted my voice to just go off and one and just like yeah, not right. always be this little quiet folk singer, which I tend to be on the on the majority of Bear. Mm. The feeling of 
finishing writing a song that comes naturally? Like, how do you describe that? I, the only way I've ever been able to describe it is I just feel like I'm a messenger without sounding really pretentious. I feel like something is just dropped into me and then I just, I just feel like I can't really take credit for it because it's almost, it's just, it's like magic, you know? Yeah. Mm. Considering the journey that you'd been on at such a young age and, and particularly getting signed by a label at the age you did and then dropped from that label and just the fallout from that and the the mental issues you were experiencing at that time and, and the physical illness as well, like all of that stuff would be enough to, I think, turn you away from music for forever. And I, I feel like perhaps a different person that had been through that very same thing would not have come out of it the way that you did. And I'm just so amazed by your record because I, I feel it, there's such depth and soul to those songs and you can just hear a wisdom in them that does not compute with your age. I, I think it's just a really wonderful thing that is inside that album. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what to say to that. I guess just the honesty. Yeah, I mean, do you uh, you feel like you kind of got this second chance at, at being able to establish yourself? Because I think had you have released music, you know, like even a, a full-length album, your first album on, on that label when you were 15 or 16, I think things possibly would have turned out very differently for you because I can imagine that at that age you weren't the artist that you wanted to be. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm so grateful. And I have like a bank of like 120 songs I'd written whilst I was signed. And I think I only used two of them. Out of all of them, I only used two. Um, But yeah, I just, I know for my first album, it needed to just be fully me and it needed to be completely honest and it had to come from me and it just anything other than that just wouldn't have been real it wouldn't have been me um and people they always they always see through that they always know when it's when it's not real you know yeah so i could have released uh several albums of um pop music but i wanted to be very honest and true yeah i want to ask you about working with lisa hannigan because i am a, a big fan of hers um and I was into her back when she was performing with Damien Rice as well. And, and I'm sure a lot of people had uh, had that record. Oh, oh, God, what an album. It was the soundtrack to my first heartbreak at 16. But she she is just so great. She's amazing. And I know you, you played with her, didn't you? Like you were part of her band. Well, I wasn't part of her band, I wish. Um, but recently, I think it was not last. It could have been last year or the year before. Um, she had me go and sing some backing vocals for her for um, these two gigs that she did in the National Concert Hall in Dublin, which was like, it was with an orchestra. Oh, and she made an album out of that, those shows, didn't she? She did. She released a live album and I like, I go and listen to it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm there. (laughs) It's so (laughs) insane. But Lisa is, she is just, I feel like she's a very rare person that you come across. And I don't know her like that well. We've only we've only met like really like a handful of times, but she's the kind of person that when you meet her, she makes you feel like you've known her for ages mm. and that you're old friends. And I remember I was so nervous about <clears throat> asking her about Thousand because I was like fully prepared for rejection. I was like, yep, it's fine, whatever. I can take that. And she 
oh my god no wait because I'd met her at a festival that I was playing at in Cork and I had just seen her show and we were staying in the same hotel and I was like just kind of in the lobby ready to go to my room or something and she came walking in and I like shit myself (laughs) I was like please oh my god I can't I can't deal with this and she I saw her look at me and I saw she started to walk over to me and I started going so red. I was like, oh my God, start sweating. Like, please tell me she's going to someone else. And she was like, Rosie, I love your music. I'm such a fan. And I was just (laughs) like, um, uh. (laughs) So she was a fan of your music. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to respond to that because I didn't even know that she knew who I was. And then I sent her a message on Twitter and I was like, hi Lisa, I have this song. (laughs) (laughs) you want to sing on it and you sound like me asking you to sing on our song <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just a little old me oh totally and then i sent her the song and she was like this is so beautiful i'd love to no she agreed to do it without even oh, hearing wow. the song first which i mean that is, that is a really really beautiful song that was one of the first songs i heard from you oh thank you you toured with the milk carton kids around europe didn't you yeah what were they I like i did oh my god they're insane i it's funny, I just was so lucky in this day and age with social media and how we can connect with people mm. um, because how I originally met them was um, they reached out to me or um, Kenneth reached out to me because he'd heard my song Awake Me and I remember I was sitting in a pub drinking a pint and I just got a message from the Milk Hunt Kids and I was already a fan. It's like very much the same with you guys. I'm just like, what the fuck? why is he messaging me? <laughs> and we arranged to go for a coffee in London because he was in London. And yeah, I met Kenneth for a coffee and we just kind of spoke about music and um, shared his story with me, which is incredible. Like he's been through so much and and I shared my story with him. And like he was telling me about him and Joey uh, playing with Robert Plant, who I love. And he was like, yeah, no, we call him Uncle Robbie. You know, (laughs) just like family. Uh. (laughs) I want to call him Uncle Robbie. Um, then I saw that they were doing a European tour. So I messaged them and I was like, Hey, if you know, I'd love to open for you guys for these dates. And he was like, yeah, sure. We were going to ask you anyway. Oh, so. that's great. Good on yeah, you. So we did it. That's so good that you put yourself out there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know the Mill Carton kids, they are kind of like the modern day Simon and Garfunkel. I saw him in LA a couple of years ago. I went to see the Bar Brothers. Oh, my God. I'm the biggest Bar Brothers fan. Oh, me too. You'll probably be appearing on one of their songs very soon. <laughs> so, I, I went to see the Bar Brothers support in their, like, half-hour slot. I was like, mm. Milk Garden Kids, who are these guys? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were amazing and incredibly funny. Yeah, they are so funny. And funny story about the Bar Brothers. So, I'm a huge Bar Brothers fan. And I was recently doing this, like, this... um this festival and I was, it was like a residency and I was down there and Andrew Barr was there and like the evening was just kind of going on and there were loads of artists around and like they started like popping their heads in, just like having a look at what was going on. And I thought I'm such an anxious person. I started to get really anxious because like I could recognize like Feist was down there oh, and like man. all of these amazing <laughs> musicians who I like worship and they started coming in and like, just kind of hanging out and then everyone started recording things like Dustin O'Halloran was there as well. I don't know if you know, he's the the film scorer. Yep. Really incredible. And Andrew Barr came in and like, he started like recording. He like took some peanut shells and put them in a plastic cup and started like shaking them and recording the sound. And 
I just I couldn't believe it because like I'm I'm such a big fan of his and and then the next day we all sat down for dinner and he came and sat beside me and, and he was just like asking me about the song and I just I didn't know where to look <laughs> I just was like fuck fuck why does this keep happening to me oh man I just love hearing about musicians getting nervous about meeting <laughs> oh, other man. musicians because it's, it's <laughs> so like, common we should all be we should all be friends but still, but still, we have we build these like different levels, these barriers in our minds about. I think backstage at festivals is is definitely one of the funniest places to be, like because you you see all these artists that you love, and no one often no one goes and talks to them because they're mm-hmm. just too scared. I think the most uh, nervous I've been was talking to Johnny Marr from the Smiths um, at an airport in Tasmania. <laughs> And we just, I just saw him there and I had nothing to talk to him about, but I just oh, no. thought I can't waste this opportunity. I need to talk to Johnny Ma. And I like shook his hand and I think we talked about his show that he was playing in Melbourne. And, and then at the end, uh, he said, cheers, babe, to me and walked <laughs> off. And I, I was just like starstruck. I got a cheers, babe. Cheers, babe. From Johnny Ma. Oh, you should get great. a tattoo saying cheers, babe. I've honestly considered that. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a brief um, brief meeting encounter with Andrew Barr as well, but it was at um, uh, Mariposa Festival in Canada. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Feist was also there, she actually. Was. So, I was oh, already wow. feeling nervous. Yeah. But uh, the Barr brothers had finished playing and we are all sort of backstage, you know, it was just this big open uh, artist area with the different vans. And they were there just packing up their gear and I was standing there like an idiot, just looking at him for quite a long time, figuring out what I was going to say. <laughs> and then I just, instead of walking, as I walked up to him, I sort of bailed last minute and just walked past him and said, cool guitar, man. <laughs> and kept going. I just walked off. Oh, no. He's like, oh, thanks, man. You really have to commit, don't you? Like- I didn't. I just walked past. Said a stupid oh, no. comment. It's just, it's silly, isn't it? Because we really should just all be friends. It's so silly. Like, we're all the same. It's it's so funny. And the thing is, is that, like, 99% of the time, they're just such nice people. Like Yeah, yeah. I was listening to uh, an interview with Laura Marling, and she was talking about touring around just by herself, like, in a van. Mm. Um, and she, she kind of likes to do it like that. But I've often wondered for solo artists, uh, surely it can be a little lonely out on the road sometimes. I mean, I haven't really been on tour by myself yet. Like, yeah, I've okay. played solo, but I've always had someone there. And um, like the last big tour I did, like with the Milk Carton Kids and with Benjamin Francis Leftwich, um, I was I had a cello player with me. Um, so like I always had someone, I had some kind of company, but it definitely was isolating at times, you know, we're not chemically made for that kind of lifestyle, like the rush of adrenaline every night and then the come down, like the experience and then like the, even the physical symptoms you feel um, as a result of that. It's just like, we're really not made for that kind of lifestyle. It's really Mm. crazy. And Mm. so it can, especially for someone so sensitive like myself, um, I found myself being really anxious. Like the last big tour I did, um, I, experienced the worst anxiety I've ever experienced. I was having panic attacks every day. Um, I all of a sudden thought I was like allergic to everything. 
So I kept like Googling how to know when you're going into anaphylactic shock. Oh man. And <laughs> like what was bringing that about? Um, I think as well, dealing with a breakup and just, you mm. know, um, being so far away from home yeah. and just some of the gigs, there was no one there, which doesn't usually bother me. Like I don't mind if there's one or I've literally done a gig to just my mum before I turned up to the venue and it was just my mum. I swear <laughs> down, oh, just wow. my mum. And the barmen were clapping. It was so like, <laughs> thanks. It does make you feel a bit like, what am I doing here? Yeah, it, it kind of does, you know, but it's, it's things like that that keeps you grounded as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to start mm-hmm. from somewhere. Yeah. You can't wake up and expect to be on the pyramid stage in Glastonbury. You know, you have to start somewhere and you have to do these toilet tours yeah. and you have to do gigs where you're just playing to your mum and it's just part of the whole experience. But there has been times when it's been extremely isolating and it it has really tested my my uh my mental health. But yeah, yeah. I love it still. Like I like I remember driving through the Redwood. Like who gets to do that? Who gets to go and go through the Redwood Forest and in North California or in Oregon, mm. you know, it's just for every like bad thing, there's like 10 good things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a phrase we use for tour and it's high highs and low lows. And I think, I think that kind of sums it up for us because when I'm away, I feel like when we're on tour, all I want to do is be home. Yeah. But then when I'm home, all I want to be is on tour. It's really fucked up. So it's this crazy, yeah. crazy difference of lifestyle like mm-hmm. and, and when you're home nobody people rarely understand what tour is like they, th- they, they think, think it's, it's a holiday yeah mm-hmm. that's right and people say that to me i get back oh how's your holiday Ugh, no don't yeah i just <laughs> if, there, if there's any if there's any musicians who who know that feeling you'll know what i'm talking about <laughs> i mean it's that's not to say that uh you know we have a really hard time like it, that's it is right. one of the mm-hmm most amazing things because there is high highs. definitely are high highs i think um the people that come to our shows rosie you'd probably say that our forte is kind of melancholy music um you know for whatever reason that's just the kind of music that that comes out of us um but you know the people that come to the shows seem to connect with that music and um, and it really means something to them, and you can see it when you play those songs live. You look out at people's faces, and you can see them um, reacting to it, and it's really strong and it's really personal. And do you find that when you talk to people after shows, that um, they really want to share those experiences with you? You know, the impact that your music has had on them. Yeah, I mean. I guess I create a very honest, open setting and I want it to be a safe space for people at my gigs, you know, even though I'm, I can get so nervous. Like I, I, I get quite nervous on stage, but I love it when people come up to me and um, feel comfortable enough and, and trust me enough to open up to me. Like at first I found it a bit difficult because I tend to take on a lot of stuff. So I, I kind of had to find a balance where I, I didn't, wouldn't take on the, the grief of other people and, um, but I, yeah, I do find that people do tend to come up to me after gigs and mm. and share. Well, because yeah, I wanted to sort of expand on that because you've been so um, so open about your mental struggles mm. and uh, you know sort of very openly talking about depression and yeah. um, sort of illness and and all of those things that you've been able to talk about. And I imagine that the people that listen to your music and are experiencing similar things sort of do want to talk to you about those things because 
you you have that connection is it difficult to yeah to to not take that on because i know that when we hear um sort of people tell us their stories and there are some really really heavy stories yeah um the people are i mean it's an honor to hear them and it's it's sort of gives you a bit more perspective in in the importance of what you're doing when you feel like it's not relevant but it it can be a lot to take on as well i have to understand that with the music that i make and with with my honesty and everything like people are going to do that people are always looking for something to relate to and something that's real and and when i'm so honest with like my struggle and especially when it's been so stigmatized in the past like people are just like reaching for that safe space to open up and yeah i've just had to learn how to like like listen and um show comfort but also not take it on board because it can be quite damaging for me Mm. i mean playing playing live for you is that is that like the the ultimate end game for your song when you write a song are you thinking i want someone sitting in a dark room listening to this and connecting with it or i want to perform this song with people and connect in that way See, it's not really specific to me. I just want that connection, whether it's live or whether it's yeah. they're sitting in their bedroom and listening to it. I mean, I love, and it was only really the last three gigs that I did uh, last December. Um, I did three gigs in Dublin, London and Amsterdam, and they were like three of my favorite gigs. And I felt a connection with the audience like I'd never felt before. I decided to not really play the guitar and I had a friend come and play with me. Um, and it was my first time, like not really hiding behind the guitar and I was standing up there and I can't really describe it. I just felt really present and really connected to the audience. And, and yeah, I just, I really miss that feeling because it was my first proper time, like experiencing that. Cause usually I like to kind of hide behind my guitar and the coin had really flipped and, um, yeah, I really, I hope I get to do that again soon. Cause it was that level of connection was mm. incredible. Well, I hope um, I hope one day soon we can actually be on stage together and, and play that song. Oh, I hope so. I think it will happen soon. It might be a weird stage and people will be like <laughs> a mile apart, but <laughs> I'm sure it will happen. No, this has been great. Thanks so much, Rosie. Really good to chat to you. Yeah, no, it's been wonderful. Thank you guys so much for creating such a safe and warm environment for me to feel comfortable to be open with you guys. It's been really wonderful. 